now our political commentators with a pretty stunning start to any uh, political year, any election year, which was the very rapid uh, change in Prime Minister tra- underway. Was it Friday? It was Friday, wasn't it? Uh, that the incumbent announced she would be stepping down uh, in very short time. And already we are... Uh, knowing who the new Prime Minister and new Deputy Prime Minister will be officially taking up their roles on Wednesday. Here to talk through their perspectives, Liam Hare is with us. Kia ora, Liam. Liam's a Palmerston North lawyer, political commentator and a member of the National Party. We'll just make sure he can speak. (laughs) Neil Jones is with us, Chief of Staff to uh, the former Labour leader, former uh, Prime Minister, or about to be, Jacinda Ardern. Prior to that was also Chief of Staff to uh, Andrew Little, and he's now Director of Public Affairs firm Capital. Uh, Hello, Neil. G'day. Now, Liam, can you hear us? We've lost him. We'll get him back in a moment. So, Neil, you kick off. It's obviously... um, a free-for-all really this morning. Your thoughts on the implications of what has occurred in the last days? Yeah, look, if you were if you're planning Labour's 2023 election campaign, you probably wouldn't have started with Jacinda Ardern resigning and a change of leadership at the start of the year. And when I first heard the news of Ardern resigning, my immediate instinct was, well, that's the election gone. I have to say my view has changed in the last few days. Um, I think the leadership change has been remarkably united and disciplined from the Labour caucus. It could have turned into a, if not a, a sort of a nationwide rodeo of party members or a, you know, perhaps there could have been jostling and horse trading. None of that happened. It was a very clean, united change. And Chris Hipkins, I think, has come out of the blocks very well. He has he has signalled a repositioning, which I think chimes with the public mood. And I think he's managed to sort of tell a story about himself that chimes with the time. So, I mean, I think he's still very much, you know, he's got a he's got a big fight ahead of him. I'd say he, he enters election year as the underdog, but I think he's done the right things in his first steps. Uh, Liam, a couple of days or three now to ponder this and its implications. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's absolutely massive, you know, and so it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a long time, in fact, before I stop automatically calling Jacinda Ardern the Prime Minister. So I just have to apologise to Chris Hipkins in advance if I do it today. But it's remarkable for a couple of things. So this is the second time in, in, in not a long period of time that we've had a Prime Minister bow out undefeated. Um, you know, so very much like John Key, uh, Jacinda Ardern uh, managed to, uh, to, to keep it under wraps, to surprise everybody, and to go out on her own terms. Uh, before John Key, you have to go all the way back to Keith Holyoke, really, and, and, and even he didn't have a nice clean of an exit as, uh, as Key and Ardern has. And then I just have to echo Neil's point, too, about this is the second time in a row now, um, if you think about it, that Labor's actually managed to pull off a very clean, very disciplined uh, leadership transition, the last time being Andrew Little's resignation and the very quick and tidy appointment of Jacinda Ardern. So, uh, look, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been an eventful week for Labor. I wouldn't say it's been a good week for Labor. It's not good, never good to lose one of your best assets. But they've managed it uh, about as well as any political party could. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear, finally, um, the question must have been asked this morning, that Chris Hopkins had had some conversations with Jacinda Ardern pre-Christmas about the possibility she might stand down. He did look uh, surprisingly prepared and ready, uh, A, to say he wanted it, and then B, to step up and take it within a matter of hours, in fact, minutes. So that was part of the confidential conversations that had happened before Christmas. Was he the only, and is he the only option for this stage of the electoral cycle, Neil? I think he was the obvious option. Um, obviously, Grant Robertson would have been a very capable Prime Minister. Um, sort of, I think we'll look back and he may have been one of the great Prime Ministers we never had. But 
looking at the team, there were, there were various people who could have done the job, but I think Chris Hipkins had that mix of experience. He's, he's a very experienced minister, seen by the public as competent. He's sort of tested in crisis through the COVID-19 response. I think there's that experience, but also he's distant enough, just enough from the previous leadership, that he can actually make a few changes in position um, in a way that's a bit more credible. Um, we, we all know, and we've discussed on the show before, Catherine, how Labor had a series of sort of policy positions that had sort of been dragging them down. I think the rather than the public seeing things like the TVNZRNZ merger or Three Waters or social unemployment insurance, I think rather than being opposed to the detail of those policies, I think people just sort of got the sense that the government was focused on the wrong things, that while they were struggling to pay the bills, interest rates were rising, the economy was struggling, people sort of saw a government that looked a bit distracted. And I think Chris Hipkins is able to, he's in a position now where he can credibly reposition on those issues and really refocus the government on cost of living. The question is how much to reposition, especially on something like Three Waters, Liam, they have actually got legislatively uh, well along the road. And remember, although it's seldom discussed, uh, is about dealing with uh, tens of billions, I think it got up many tens of billions, uh, did it get up to the hundreds of billions? Billion or $180 billion or yeah. worth of infrastructure. So do you, you know, just somehow walk that back? Or is there a way to make changes to the, what became the lightning rod aspects of that uh, legislation? What will be the challenge of doing that if that's what he attempts to do, Liam? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of difficulties on that front. So the first one is I don't agree with Neil that he's going to be it's going to be easy for him to be distinguished from the the previous uh, 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 sort of uh, ministry um, I mean uh, he was really the go-to minister for any um, uh, sort of uh, portfolio that had problems um, as a result he had a lot of portfolios because there were a lot of problems and his fingerprints are on a lot of different things so if you look to, if you talk about the ordinary voter they kind of see the government as being a, a core of three really capable ministers uh, Jacinda Ardern, Brad Robinson and Chris Hipkins they really does look like a trinity from from the outside. Um, in terms of the rolling things back, um, and that's going to be hard too. I mean, you've got to remember that um, the three waters reform, in particular, very very important hard fought victory for the for Labour's Maori caucus, uh, Labour's Maori caucus, which now finds itself sort of not really represented at the top of the Labour Party. Apart from the deputy so leader, of course. He's got to have to be very very yeah. Oh well, sorry, of, of the government, I should say. He's going to have to be very very careful to. Uh, to maintain maintain harmony amongst his own party, and it should, it's going to be a challenge to try and walk those things back. It's not as simple as striking a different tone. The substance is going to be hard to do. Um, look, I think three waters is, is the most difficult of those policy areas to walk back because we are so far through the process. The, legis- the core legislation has passed. There's a couple of other bills, I think, to, to go through still. Um, and if you were to just abandon it, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd be back to square one and have a lot more questions. I think what Hipkins can possibly do is take the temperature down a bit. And I think on, I mean, he has signalled on co-governance um, in an interview, I think, this morning that, you know, part of the problem with co-governance has been that the government has never really done a very good job of explaining what they're doing and what they're not doing. And we've, we've had this discussion here before. Um, there, there is no, I mean, I can, I can assure you, I've had many discussions with Māori Caucus and other members of the Labour um, Caucus. There is no agenda on co-governance. It's more a lack of political management. I think they have... They have sort of taken a, a bunch of different things um, from co-management of sort of dock um, estate and resources such as the national government did, 
through to the Māori Health Authority, which is saying, um, takes the lessons from the vaccine rollout and says actually Māori communities will do a better job serving themselves, that sort of devolution of power, um, through to things like co-governance of, at a governance level um, of, of infrastructure. And I think those things have become conflated. I think the government has avoided having a discussion. There have been some unwise interventions from ministers about things such as saying things like democracy has changed, which have no policy basis but put the fear of God into some people. And I think what Hipkins is saying is actually let's let's just step back a bit and talk about what we're actually doing and get this amorphous concept of co-governance out of the picture. And if we can take the temperature down on that, I think that may take well, the temperature down on three waters. Liam. Uh, I, look, I, I just have to say that I think it's, it's never a sign of strength when you're resorting to saying, look, uh, a policy is actually fine. If the, the, the comms wasn't handled well, if we had just explained things a bit better, then people wouldn't be so upset about it or they'd be much more open to it. I mean, the government of which Chris Hipkins was a part, spent a heck of a lot of taxpayer money trying to communicate the intent behind Three Waters. Um, it's no, they just, didn't. They, uh, didn't. they, it, they failed, they failed to do it. They, they never once yes, made they, the case for it. <laughs> they, they spent a heck of a lot of public money trying to do it. At some point, you know, when you reach the point where you're saying, right, well, you know, the policy is great, we just didn't communicate it very well. That's never a good sign. That's I, I normally a sign of government as a way out. Where I disagree there, Liam, is I think, you know, you can say DIA did an advertising campaign that's very different to politicians making the political case for something, which they have they just never did. Um, so, so why didn't they, Neil? I don't know. I've been baffled by this. You've heard me on the show saying, I don't know why they won't explain this. But the case for water reform is overwhelming. Any sensible person who isn't tied up in conspiracy theories about Tapuapua or isn't serving on a local council about to have powers taken yeah, but away sees it. You're contradicting yourself because that void that you're talking about is the conspiracy theories at one extreme. Mm. There's an awful lot of people deeply uncomfortable well, well, about what well, this well, is. Yeah. And you've got a former well, I, Prime I, Minister in the form of Jim Bolger saying. We don't, and the people don't understand where you're going with this. Yes, I think that. So, I think there is a small minority who are deeply upset about it for various reasons. I don't think that's being reflected in more recent polling. I think. I think most. If you asked most people about Three Waters, they wouldn't. They wouldn't know what it is or why they oppose it. They just know it sounds messy, or they've heard that Maori are taking the water or some ridiculous thing. I, I, I think that this is a this is a prime example of where the government has failed to tell a story. And win the argument and the on, what, on what should have been a slam dunk. And, and, the, and, and the question is why? Do you have a view on that, Liam? Well, what well, can I just say? I mean, Neil's just said that you know the only reason why you'd be opposed to a specific uh, three waters reform is because you're tied up with conspiracy theories, and that attitude goes a long way to annoying the public, to making the public distrustful of the government. That's a, that's a because, Liam, because that's a, Liam, 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 Liam stop. That's a total misrepresentation. Because I, I didn't interrupt you. Yeah. You know, you, you can you can you can see the problem. You can have issues with the specific reform. It doesn't mean that you're a conspiracy theorist. That, that's and not that's not the argument I've made. That's the rhetoric is becoming. Well, that's what you said, Neil. No, so it's not. Is, no, it's not. That kind of high-handed, high-handed attitude is one of the reasons why the government was opposed to it. Now, if Chris Hipkins can actually uh, reset the tone on that, I agree that would go a long way. But Le- it would be if, a market if I can, change. If I can clarify, okay, so what, what were you saying when you mentioned conspiracy yeah, theories? my and point three is there are a bunch of conspiracy theories put out by Judith Collins and others around Hey Pua Pua that there was this. Grand, this grand plan to hand over the water to Māori, and there are all kinds of, there are conspiracies. There's vile rhetoric okay. all over the place. I am not I mean, saying that. No, 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 areas. Liam, I'm, I'm, I'm clarifying your misrepresentation. The point I'm making is there are there is a wide disquiet around Three Waters. That doesn't mean people themselves are tied up in that, but they've heard misinformation. They don't understand why the government's doing it. 
it seems like the government's distracted on the strange thing they're bogged down in. And it goes back to my key point, which is that people have seen the government tied up in a series of major reforms that have seemed unrelated to their lives. And that's what the challenge is. So let's come back to what happens with co-governance in its various forms, reminding people that it was national governments that introduced it with with, with respect to some of the natural resources. Um, We've heard um, the former Attorney General, um, and he held other posts as well, Chris Finlayson, uh, elaborating on this as well. Labour, through its own either failure or reluctance, to explain its policy is in the situation it's in, Neil. Uh, sorry, um, Liam. And the question is, how does the new leader extricate it from unpop what have become unpopular policies? Is that possible? Uh, um, I, I can't see how it's possible without adopting half measures that are just going to annoy everybody, right? Because it's it was, it was a hard fought for thing. It's become an, it's become an important cultural issue in this country. There's a lot right that, that rides on it from a from an optics and a symbolic point of view as much as anything else. And if Chris Hipkins wants to backtrack on it too much, it's going to provoke and it's going to provoke disquiet on his own benches. And it's just going to be a really really hard thing to, for him to pull off. Speaking of which, then uh, you've mentioned social insurance. You've mentioned the TVNZ RNZ merger. You've mentioned uh, some adjustments, at least to Three Waters. What else is going off the table before we talk about what economic policies might come on the table? Do either of you see anything else that's vulnerable? I, I don't see anything in particular, but I think that what Chris Hipkins will be, will be doing is looking through the government's broader agenda, things that are in the pipeline to come up, and more just what are we doing that we don't need to be doing that's not core. A lot of the challenge in politics isn't just what you're talking about, it's choosing not to talk about things. And what people see on the TV is a signal to them of what your priorities are. And so I think when this, when the big challenge of this election is around cost of living and Labor needs to be seen to be on the side of the public, of people struggling with it, that's when they need to say, we're talking about this, we're going to avoid talking about other things. OK. Um, Liam, I don't know if you see anything else that might be for jettisoning, but what might come on the table now that there is an overt focus on cost of living and economic issues, inflation, etc. What can they say uh, that they haven't said, having argued that much of the inflation issue, of course, is is important? Um, Where can Labour reposition its argument around the cost of living? Well, that's exactly right. There's an eternal contradiction in saying that you're going to be um, focused like a laser on inflation while also uh, sort of implying, um, not not with complete accuracy, that it's a global inflation problem for which, you know, New Zealand is just on the receiving end. Um, look, it's not like the previous government didn't try to make efforts in this area. Um, there was a, you know, there was a much uh, heralded, uh, much promoted, much publicised cost of living adjustment that was a, a classic type of labour policy. Um, it was a political flop. It made no difference to people's lives and it didn't really uh, give me any momentum. So if there's going to be anything Chris Hipkins can be, can do, it's, it can't be a, a repeat of that. You know, it's going to actually have to be something that uh, seems like a new sense of direction. It's hard to see what that can be, given the um, the, the fiscal restraints we've got. Uh, we've already had an explosion of public debt, partly under Chris Hipkins as the Minister of Public Service. 
Uh, and uh, you know, and so big spending promises aren't going to be the way to to, to write the, finan- the the economic shift. So what about so the other side of really, the equation? Really, really what about the side of the other side of the equation, which is either tax cuts or various um, adjustments, the like of working for, likes of working for families? These are complex and they quickly get expensive, Liam. But there's a budget uh, in May, not very far away, when it comes to preparation for it, and you know how much of a gesture might there might not there be in that budget. This is the curse of being an incumbent government. You've got to be responsible. If you increase spending in inflationary times, you will be criticised for fueling inflation. If you practice restraint, you'll be criticised for not doing enough. I mean, that's just what sucks about being an incumbent government, and that's why inflation, more than anything else, is so deadly for incumbents. So uh, I, I just can't see how um, Labor can get out of this rock-in-a-hard place situation when it comes to the economy. Tax or some other kind of family or household support, is it going to come on the agenda? I, I think it probably should. Um, I mean, Chris Hipkins will have to balance a whole range of things. But I think, you know, going back to what Liam said about the pandemic of, infla- of inflation, I think that's actually very good framing in the sense that it does signal that um, this is something that's global. It has come from overseas. And it also signals back to the government's competence and in handling some, some of it's come from overseas. Some of it, and a lot of it, is that is the monetary policies that central banks and countries like ours exercised. Yeah, and uh, in, in and, response and, to the global f- pandemic f- to save the economy from falling okay, over. Okay, so that's an yeah. argument that's yeah. going to be made. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not entirely. I mean, there's an explosion of public debt partly t- tied back to Chris Hipkins. Chris Hipkins lifted the cap on public servants. He did so promising that the result the, the, would be a lower... Le, Liam, 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 we don't have... We, we, we can be honest here. The, the, the level of public debt in New Zealand is very similar to what it was post the GFC. This is not... There is, no, this is not a historic level of debt beyond what we've seen in the past following a financial shock. The, the, going back to the original point, though, I think on tax, that is somewhere where the, where the government could move. Um, National has signalled tax cuts favouring those on higher incomes. I think if Labor were to look at tax cuts um, in the lower bracket or for um, you know areas where it would benefit low-income people, I think that provides quite a good contrast. Because in a cost-of-living crisis, I think National is vulnerable, giving tax cuts to people on higher incomes, landlords and property speculators, well, and that's where Labor can... They've well, effectively taken all of that off the table. Well, they haven't, though. They, they haven't, though. National it's still, it's still, it's still National's... On, on what is time, no, can what, I just be clear? One at a time, they have given themselves the option of reconstructing that tax it, it policy still and national, to see it is. It is still National's policy, though, to to bring back tax breaks for landlords and property speculators. Okay. Let's, let's look at how National and its leader... How this changes the game for him, Liam, and I guess for um, other uh, players in the political spectrum as well. But do you see it as necessitating a change of strategy for National? Um, personally, I don't. And that's because I really do believe that elections tend to be decided more by forces and trends uh, than they do by uh, personalities, apart from in exceptional circumstances. So, look, the thing is, Jacinda Ardern's her popularity had been on the decline. That's true. But she was still more popular than the Labour government. I don't see as this as being any major sort of um, change of direction or threat um, to, 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 to Christopher Luxon. I think that he should probably continue on this on the same strategy of, um, of, of, of running a small target, looking to be the, 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 the sort of face of change. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be uh, in any kind of rush to try and reframe things. City as city as she goes, I think. I, I tend to agree with that. I think National has done a good job as an opposition of. Um, opposing, you know, opposing and not being drawn into what they would actually do. I think the challenge they're going to have now is, as they are seen more as the favourites heading into the election, I think, and we're heading to election year, 
I think more scrutiny will come to start start to come onto National about what will you actually do. You know, what are your policies? What are you going to do on tax? What are you going to do on public spending? How does Act feature into that? And that's when you start to actually deal with the difficult things in politics. It's very easy to say we oppose everything and we'll just fix it. Um, this is the hard bit. I also think there's, there's going to be interesting contrast between Chris Hipkins and Christopher Luxon, which the you know Labor's trying to set up, which is Chris Hipkins is the boy from the hut and being very grounded in, you know, in his community and all that, you know, dressing like a daggy dad um, into his DIY. And Carmel Cepoloni, who comes from West Auckland, um, she's you know a working-class girl from Waitara, they'll be looking to use that as a foil against Christopher Luxon and saying, in a, in a battle over family budgets, we're more in touch than he is. Family budgets, other, other uh, regions, um, primary sector, other areas as well, where... Um uh, I guess there is a battle to win back some of what has been lost if yeah. Labour is indeed going to be able to get near doing that. Yeah. Let's finish looking, please, at Jacinda Ardern's legacy uh, as uh, as a Prime Minister. Uh, Liam, your thoughts? Uh, well, look, you know, um, obviously in the immediate um, um, resignation, everybody talked about the COVID-19 response. I, I still believe her finest hour was after the March 15 um, terror attack. Um, that was um, something where I think that her particular skill set, her particular brand of empathy and her way was sort of irreplaceable. I think that that really was her finest hour. Um, apart from those responses to those crises, she's got some um, things that she would point to as a legacy. She'd appoint uh, abortion law reforms, one that happened under her watch. Um, but uh, on the whole, apart from that, it's a, it's a gap between promise and reality. And, you know, when you have a prime minister um who at the end of her term was still saying, I make no apologies for being aspirational, there is that gap. You know, that gap is something that's going to be part of it. But March 15, I don't think anyone else could have done it. So I'm grateful to her for that. Yeah, I think March 15 was a piece of outstanding nation building. I mean, it was a time when a a hateful terrorist had done an act that is incomprehensible to most of us. And she was able to bring, particularly the Muslim community, into into New Zealand's um, I guess New Zealand's identity in a way that never had been to said this is they are part of us and we are the same people and I think it built a sense of nationhood um, which is a major legacy I, I, obviously COVID-19 um, 20,000 people today are probably alive who wouldn't have otherwise been um, we sort of get caught up in the niggles and gripes over various restrictions but you know there are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and children alive today who would not be and will never know who they are and I think that um, you know, as well as that, we had some of the lowest restrictions and we had an economy that did better than most in the world. So I think that will be remembered well. And if I could just say, on the issue of her agenda, I mean, she didn't become Prime Minister to lead New Zealand through a pandemic. She had other plans. And the pandemic did disrupt her agenda. That There is no question about that. But I think often, for someone who was a great communicator, she often sold herself short. And on, you know, on climate change, we have the zero carbon bill. We have a billion dollars a year going to climate. On child poverty, there are 67,000 children out of poverty. Stats NZ shows all the indicators, despite the pandemic, are heading in the right direction. And on housing, we have the biggest boom in New Zealand history, and one in every 11 houses in this country was built under Ardern's government. So I think, I also just think, once we step back from the day-to-day partisan politics, I think we'll recognise Ardern as a very consequential Prime Minister. All right. Thank you both very, very much. Uh, Interesting times. What a way to start the year. Thank you, Neil Jones there and Liam Hare.